الحمد لله وكفى والصلاة والسلام على رسول الله قال الله سبحانه وتعالى في القرآن المجيد بعد أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم ألف لاميم ذلك الكتاب تنزيل الكتاب لا ريب فيه من رب العالمين so This is a surah, surah al-sajda, 30 ayat and according to some opinions, 29 ayats the reason you have a difference of opinion between scholars and how many ayats there are in a surah is because of where they stop, the ayah where does an ayah stop? where is, according to some, two ayats might be actually one and so there are many instances like that where the meaning is uh, uh, there's continuity in the meaning so there are scholars who say you shouldn't stop here and you move forward. And there are others who say you should stop here. So that's how you have a difference of opinion with regards to the number of ayahs. Not that an ayah is deleted or is not mentioned in your, in your copy of the Qur'an. So you have 29 or 30 verses in this beautiful surah, Surah Al-Sajda. The previous surah is Surah Al-Luqman. Maybe inshallah we'll get an opportunity to cover that once as well, sometime. Surah Al-Luqman ended with the verses where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions Indeed Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala only by only He has the knowledge of the day of judgment He is the only one who can send the rain He is the only one who has the knowledge of what is in the wombs of the mothers and no soul knows what it will earn tomorrow and no soul, no soul knows on what part of the earth it shall perish and die. In Allah Alimun Khabir, indeed Allah is all knowing, all knowledgeable. So there's a lot of details in that ayah as well. But I'm mentioning simply because we have to know where does this surah come. Every single surah is placed in its place because Allah wanted it to be there. Alright? So uh, there is a beautiful reason why every surah has its niche, has its place. It exactly fits where it's supposed to be. Surah to Sajda begins with Alif Lam Meem. Which is uh, what we call from amongst the broken letters or huruful muqatta'at in Arabic or in English broken letters. Broken letters in a sense it's not joined. You don't say alam or ilam or ulum or anything of that sort. You say alif, lam and meem. You pronounce them separately. And so that's why they're called broken letters. And muqatta'at from qata'a which means to be broken. The meaning of this we say Allah knows best. You open various books of tafsir you will find many varying opinions on the meaning of alif, lam, meem. And in every place where the surah begins with Alif Lam Mim, you'll have all these varying opinions. And then after all of that, they'll say that this is a secret between Allah and His Prophet It's a message between Allah and the Prophet Some say it is just the knowledge of it is only with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then after all of all the varying opinions, they'll say, Allahu a'lamu bi muradihi bidalik. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the only one, and He is the only one who knows best about what He intended by these verses. So we leave it up to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala after all that discussion. So we can simply, uh, you know, uh, estimate or, or come up with some good opinions on what it is based on what the ulama have said. But the real meaning, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. And so we should think about that moment, inshallah, when, on the day of judgment and in Jannah, in, in the hereafter, when all of us, inshallah, will be seated in our beautiful places in, in, the, in, in paradise, and we, when, when we will get an opportunity to hear the Qur'an from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And we will be communicating with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And of course, when we hear from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we are not going to hear simply what you and I have right now in the dunya. He is the master, the owner of the speech. So when he is going to uh, read this to us and recite it to us and explain it to us, imagine how we're going to sit back and say, Subhanallah, I never understood that. I never, even, I thought all of this and the ulama thought all that and the scholars thought that and this is what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala meant. There are certain things that are meant to be a secret. There, you can't, if you share everything right now, if, if, the, if, the, if the promo and if the trailer is two hours long, why would you come watch the real thing? Right? So this Alif Lam Mim here, subhanAllah, you can say it's like a trailer, a promo that, listen, there are so many things here, but there's so much that you don't know about. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that so beautifully in ayah number 17. He says, No soul knows what has been hidden away for it that will become a joy and a source of comfort for its eyes. You have no idea what's, what's in stock for you and in store for you in Jannah. And similarly, the meaning of Alif Lam Mim, you don't know what it means. The meaning of that only Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will share with you inshallah later on. When we come face to face with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in paradise. So some have said Alif Lam Mim is actually the name of the surah. 
The meaning we don't know, but they say this may be the name of the surah. Others have said, no, the name of the surah is As-Sajdah. So there are varying opinions also with regards to the name of the surah. Either it's Alif Lam Mim or As-Sajdah. Um, and when, when, surat, when this harf was Alif Lam Mim was mentioned in Surah Al-Baqarah, we all know Surah Al-Baqarah begins with Alif Lam Mim. We see a similar, uh, similar context here. That after Alif Lam Mim, majority of the time in the Quran, revelation of the Quran, some aspect of the revelation of the Quran is mentioned with it. Over there, it was the same thing. kitab, that book, there's no doubt within it. Here also, Tanzil al Kitab, this is a revelation uh, from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So, this is another thing you may want to take note of is that usually after the broken letters, there is Surah Yusuf, Alif Lam. A meme over the Al-Flam Ra Tilk Ayatul Quran. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in Surah Al Nahal or Surah Hijr, Tilk Ayatul Quran Yu Kitab Mubin. And in also in Surah Yusuf, every place, almost every place, Kitabun and Zalahu Likali Tukhrijan Nasamin of Dulamati ilan Nuri Bidni Rabbim Surah Ibrahim. Kitab, Kitab, Kitab. It's about the revelation of the Quran. So that is something there. Some scholars have mentioned, uh, and this is worthy of note, that because we are speaking about the revelation of the Quran and it's being a miracle and it's being revealed in the Arabic language to the Arabs who were the best of the best when it came to the, the Jahili Arabs were the best of the best when it came to the language they had like how we have uh, uh, competitions and we have fairs they would have these huge symposiums and huge competitions and huge uh, uh, you know, events where they would compete with each other in the Mar- in, in the Uqab and other places as well, the Majinna, where they would gather together and they would show off their poetry. Like a, you have an arms race and you have a technology race, so there would be a poetry race there. So uh, for those people are receiving uh, Quran, so it's got to be impressive. If you're going to go to, if you're going to go cook fish and, and buy some fish and cook it and sell it and present it as a gift to people who live on the, on the shore, it better be something special because these people eat fish every single day. You know what I mean? It's got to be something, something great about it. So if we're sending Qur'an to Arabs who are the masters of the Arabic language and poetry, there's got to be something there that really is eye-catching. Otherwise, why will they listen? Why will they, why will they bother giving any attention to you or to your Prophet? So that is why when the revelation of the Qur'an is mentioned, it's preceded by Alif Lam Mim and the likes of that, Alif Lam Ra. Because that is a shocker. It says, well, you are so arrogant over your Arabic, you know so much, how about you figure out what, what's, what's this mean? How about you figure out what, what this, what's a coded language means? Who knows? No one knows. None of the Arabs were bold enough to come up and say this is what it meant. Because that was, that was a means of making them realize that you should realize how far you can go. This is your limitations. This Quran is no way near your ability. And that's why the Quran challenges time and again. فَأْتُوا بِمِثْلِهِ and fa'tu bi suratin mithli. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala first says, bring, He says in the Quran three challenges. Bring a Quran similar to this. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, okay, you can't do that? Okay, fine. How about this? We can do it a bit easier. Bring one surah equivalent to any of the surahs. No one up for the challenge? Okay, how about just bring one verse equivalent to the Quran? And of course, everyone's quiet. There's no answer. There's been no answer for, for 1,400 years. There was no way they could do that. So Alif Al-Amim is an amazing way to start this conversation with, with humanity and especially the first people who are addressed with the Qur'an, which are the Arabs. That do not become, uh, don't look down upon the Prophet and don't, and don't you know, turn away from this Qur'an thinking we've been there, done that, we're able to write stuff like this. If it is, then why don't you just bring a similar ayah to Alif Al-Amim and explain the beauty of it. They are not able to do that. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So, I don't know if I mentioned it or not. Maybe I was saying about the rabt. I, if I, if I already did, then I'll just repeat it one more time. That the last surah ended with, with, Luqman ended with, the five things that only Allah has the knowledge of. And surah to sajda is beginning with also another secret of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So this is the connection. The last Luqman ended with the secrets that only عِنْدَهُ عِنْدَهُ الْمُسَاءِ Allah knows these things, no one else does. Similarly, the beginning of Surah Sajda is about, begins with an ayah whose meaning only Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows. تَنْزِيلُ الْكِتَابِ لَا رَيْبَ فِيهِمْ رَبِّ الْعَالَمِينَ يعني هذا, as though is, this is a revelation from on high of the book. 
يعني from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala لا ريب فيه من رب العالمين wherein there is no doubt من رب العالمين from the Lord of all the worlds Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that there is tanzil this is a revelation anzala nazala are various verbs that have been used in the Quran for the revelation of the Quran usually nazala to descend comes with the angels the angels come down with the Quran and when it comes to inzal anzala yunzilu inzal that comes from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealing it from the preserved tablet to the first heaven similar verbs Allah says inna anzalnahu fi laylatil qadr we revealed it in the night of power this inzal anzala means from the preserved tablet to the first heaven another difference between tanzil and inzal words that you have come across many times in the Quran is that anzalnahu usually means complete all of it together one as one uh, one uh, chunk or the whole Quran and tanzil referring to something that happens over time uh, and why did that happen over time because as the need arose the Quran was revealed that was the beauty of it because it's ajib you know when people don't want to accept you they will find excuses and it's so it's so weird because we see the same things today there's always these objections about Islam and you realize that man these objections we can never solve we can never give an answer to because a person really is not interested so the Quran is also dealing with this, the disbelievers in the same manner. Anything you tell them, they come up with another excuse. And then you give an answer, they give another. Things that have no bearing at all. For example, why don't you just believe in this Quran? It's, it's, it's in Arabic, it's flawless. You, you know that this is definitely not something that a human being has written. So then they'll say, no. But uh, why, was it why was it all revealed together? But what difference does it make? What difference does it make whether it was revealed all together or was revealed over time? Well, maybe if it was revealed over time, there's a pro pro probability that he was Muhammad والسلام, was going and learning it from someone else and bringing, bringing fresh things every day. But didn't you already say, This is definitely not a statement. These are not sayings and speech of a human being. Haven't you already you know, conceded to this fact that this is, this is magical maybe, but it can't be human. So which human is giving him this? Which other Christian or Jew do you think has the ability to do that? When you're saying that no Arab can bring a speech like this, who do you think is being able is giving you know all of this uh, the speech to Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam and he comes recite it? So Allah subhanahu wa taala deals with this issue. You know, it's aggravating sometimes for a believer to say, why does Allah subhanahu wa taala have to answer you? This is believing it. It's a message. It's for your good. But but the disbelievers they keep on coming up with some objection or the other, and then Allah Subhanahu wa Taala explains. He says, "Well, the reason I reveal it uh, uh, from period to period instead of all as one chunk is so that it can be relevant. It can be relevant. So when an incident happens, you have, mashallah, very contextually befitting fitting ayah being revealed. Uh, when you need to know who is out there trying to harm the Muslims, an ayah will come. Ya Muhammad, وسلم, you don't know about this. Oh Muslims, you don't know about this, but there are people waiting to harm you, for example. So the revelation of the ayat over time provided context. Context to Islam, context to revelation. It made it real. It made it as though, you know that ayah that really hits me is Qatsami Allah. The beginning ayat of Surah Al-Mujadala Where the lady is coming and speaking and, and, and sharing her problems Her marital problems With the Prophet And Aisha anha says That this lady is in my house You know her house How small it is Her house is so small That when, she, when the Prophet is performing sajda And the Aisha is sleeping You know she prayed her tahajjud And went to sleep And Rasulullah is Rasulullah So he's praying You know a huge portion of the night Is tahajjud now he wants to make sajda. There's no place for him to make sajda because Aisha has got her feet extended. She's sleeping. So what does she do? And she's not probably very, very tall, six foot, you know, lady. So what does he have to do? She says, she would touch me. He would touch my feet. And then I would roll up my feet so that he could prostrate. That is how small this house is. Subhanallah. So... Uh, Aisha Lana says that this lady is in my house and she is speaking to the Prophet ﷺ, whispering to him about her problem with her husband. And uh, about her marriage problem with her husband and she's really pouring her heart out. And then when Rasulullah ﷺ hears this, 
doesn't know what to answer. All of a sudden she says, I see that the athar and the, the, the signs of revelation become, to, become apparent on his face. The sweating, the color of the face changing, becoming very tense. Revelation coming. What does Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala say? If you were to see the Quran being revealed, if the Quran were to be revealed on a mountain, any mountain of the world, it would have been broken into pieces. It would become dust. Imagine the extent, the, 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 the power of the heart of the Prophet ﷺ, which was able to receive this Qur'an. Allah says that the Qur'an was revealed directly unto your heart. It's amazing how powerful the heart of Rasulullah was to be able to absorb this. And that is why he's able to absorb the concern of the ummah. Anyway, today we have a, we're behind on a couple payments. The child uh, uh, came back with some bad grades. We lose our mind. Say, so, oh my God, what's going on? But imagine Rasulullah who's been entrusted with the, with, with the responsibility of ensuring all of humanity and all of jinn be saved from the fire of hell till, he, till the day of judgment, till doomsday. How are you supposed to handle that? And at the same time, you have an opportunity to play with your wife. You have an opportunity to play with your grandkids. You have an opportunity to smile to people. How are you supposed to balance that? And I'm sure many of us feel that. that we're not, something happens at work and we bring it home. How are you supposed to keep that stress outside of the house? Because you're so worked up. He said, I can't do that. Well, then you hear from the wife saying, well, the prophet was like this. You know, so we're supposed to be like that. True. But we have to work on it. It's not easy. It's not easy to have that balance that the prophet ﷺ had in handling all of the stressful things that we can never imagine. So he's receiving the Quran. And obviously he's taking a toll on him. Aisha radiallahu says, that I swear, subhanAllah, she says, what was the Rasulullah ﷺ began to recite? He says, this is the fresh revelation that came. قَدْ سَمِعَ اللَّهُ قَوْلَ الَّتِي تُجَادِلُكَ فِي زَوْجِهَا Because the Prophet ﷺ said that in your case, divorce has taken place. You're no longer, she's no longer your husband. You get, that's the end. And she's like, Ya Rasulullah, but, 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 you know what? I have bore so many kids for him. And I have lost the ability to have any more children. I've become so old, you know, and I can no longer give milk. And my age has taken over me. Look at my body and look at my mind. I have done so much for this man. And now that I've got all these kids and I've raised them, he said this to me. And now what am I supposed to do? So Rasulullah based on what knowledge he had from prior to this, said, I'm sorry, that's the end. So she's going back and forth with him. No, Ya Rasulullah, it can't be. You have to find a way out for me. So all of this conversation is going on. And Aisha radiallahu says, I swear I didn't know what the conversation, the extent. I didn't know the details of what she was saying. She was whispering to my husband. She was whispering to Nabi alayhi salatu salam. But Aisha could not hear in the house, in that little tiny room, closet size. But Allah Jalla Jalaluhu could hear. Allah says, قَدْ سَمِعَ اللَّهُ قَوْلَ الَّتِي تُجَادِلُكَ فِي زَوْجِهَا Indeed, Allah has heard. Indeed, Allah has heard the concerns of that lady who is arguing with you with regards to her husband. And she is complaining and putting her issue in, forth, in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. وَاللَّهُ يَسْمَعُ تَحَاوُرَكُمَا and Allah is listening to your conversations. Kuma, both of you. Hiwar is conversation. Allah says, I, Allah is listening to both of you speaking. Inna Allah sami'un basir. Allah is all hearing, all watching. Subhanallah. What a beautiful ayah that is revealed at an exact appropriate time. To not only console this lady, console the Prophet ﷺ, but to all of us sitting here, that Allah is listening. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is listening and that is why that revelation came down right then and there. Revelation could have come right now as well with affairs that are taking place in the dunya. But Allah has decided that revelation in the form, the way is to come, is no longer going to come. Otherwise Allah is all listening. Allah doesn't just listen to Aisha and Rasulullah and that lady and doesn't listen to us. But what is very key point in this ayah, yashtaki ilallah, tashtaki ilallah. She was complaining to Allah. It's, that's, that's the key thing. We, have, we complain to each other. Like you know when you, you, when you go, when you speak to, when a father says, or a teacher says, he's having issues. He says, listen, if you got an issue with your classmate, you come tell me. I'll sort it out. Don't, go, don't try to go play justice here. Don't try to play cop in the classroom. You come and tell me, I'll sort it out. You're in a business, you have an issue with another employee, go tell the employer, go tell the boss. Don't take the law in the hands. What has happened today? We have begun to complain to anyone and everyone about our problems, save the one who actually can do something about it. The one who can actually do something about it is Allah Jalla Jalaluhu. To Him we don't complain. 
But to every other person, I am complaining and you are complaining. Innama ashku bathi wa huzni ilallah. Yusuf salam's incident, Yaqub says, when he lost Yusuf, and he lost Binyamin, and now he lost the third one as well. He says, Innama ashku. I only complain of my my stressful situation, and of my gham, and my pain, ilallah to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, to, to no one else. That is the key point here. So we are going from tadzil, that there's beautiful benefit in the Qur'an being revealed, uh, not at the same time, but as it was needed. La rayba fi, there's no doubt. Rayb is like shak. You have um, rayb, you have van, and you have waham. Uh, you have a rayb in when the chance of it being right or wrong is the same. You don't know which way to go, right or wrong, same. You have van when you have the, op- the probability of it being correct and true to be heavier. To be stronger opinion. And the third is wahan, when the probability of being falsehood is stronger. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala negates raib, uh, uh, which is shak, meaning these two cannot be equal. What cannot be equal? Meaning it, you, have an, uh, you have a possibility of this being made up, and you have a possibility of being from Allah. It is not possible that these two are same when it comes to the Qur'an. What does that mean then? It's most definitely from the Lord of the worlds. So la rayba in essence is like a, a what we call jumla mu'taridha or a shiba jumla mu'taridha. That it is a, a part of the sentence that's just been added in to, uh, to uh, which is not, uh, which, which you can say, tanzirul kitab im rabbil alameen was the actual sentence. But just to clarify the doubts, la rayba was put inside there. La rayba was put inside there. Rabbil alameen, rabb, coming from rububiyya, care, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala loves you and cares for you and He is the Lord of all the worlds. That is why He sent the Qur'an that is not for the Muslims only, but rather He is sending the Qur'an as, uh, as a source of mercy for the worlds. This is a key point here. Rabb, this Qur'an is not coming from Shadid al-Adab. It's not coming from al-Muntaqim. It's not coming from even al-Qahar. I mean, of course, this is, Allah is has all of those attributes. I'm not denying that. I'm, I'm simply saying why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala majority of the time uses Rabb, Rabb when it comes with Tanzil. That it is part of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's tarbiyah and love for humanity and care for humanity, not just humanity, general creation, that He's revealed the Qur'an. So if He's revealed it out of goodness and love, then there must be something beneficial in it, not just for Muslims, but for anyone who takes from it. So people have had to accept this fact that the Qur'an has some beautiful advice, has some beautiful uh, you know, uh, ways of addressing issues of divorce, issues of transactions, issues of, of marriage, all sorts of things that people till today, I know in this, uh, in, in this modern day, I should say in this past few decades, or two decades, unfortunately people have become oblivious, or knowingly oblivious from the, um, uh, from, from the accomplishments of Muslims, and from the benefits of the Qur'an and what the Qur'an has given to this world. But if you read books of Orientalists from the early 20th century and 19th century, yeah, mashallah, you know, they, they realized that the Qur'an and the Muslim, the people who follow the Qur'an really had some amazing things to share with the world. Then they will say, then will they who disbelieve say of the Prophet, that he has forged it. Allah is saying, how dare these people can say that he has forged it? Iftara is to make up a horrible lie. بَلْ هُوَ الْحَقُّ مِنْ رَبِّكَ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, On the contrary, it is a sacred truth from your Lord. It is a sacred truth. مِنْ رَبِّكَ from your Lord. لِتُنْذِرَ قَوْمًا O Muhammad So that you may forewarn of a nearing judgment. مَا أَتَاهُمْ مِنْ نَذِيرٍ مِنْ قَبْلِكَ What should تُنذِرْ أَنذَرَ يُنذِرُ إِنْ ذَا is to warn. What should you warn your people? Forewarn them of a nearing judgment. What type of nation are you been sent to? مَا أَتَاهُمْ مِنْ نَذِيرٍ مِنْ قَبْلِكَ Whom no forewarner before you has ever come. لَعَلَّهُمْ يَهْتَدُونَ When why are you doing this? So that they may be guided right. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that they think uh, you have two options. O Kufar of Mecca, do you accept this to be Tanzeer Rabbil Alameen? Are you going to believe it like previous ayah that we just did? Or are you going to say 
that the Prophet forged this? What are you going to say? So we know the answer, unfortunately. They said the Prophet forged it. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, On the contrary, you are wrong. Who al haq The Qur'an is the truth. Mir Rabbik. It's coming from your Lord. Now all of a sudden, from Rabbul Alameen, Lord of the Worlds, it came from Rabbuk, your Lord. To who? Rasulullah sallallahu So Rasulullah sallallahu honor is being mentioned here. That although the Qur'an is from Rabbul Alameen, but now Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying specifically, if I want to confine it, it's from your Lord. Because you are the one who received it, and there's no one who understands this book and the speech of mine better than you do. There's no one who understands the speech of mine better than you do. Oh Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, Rabbik. That is the reason why Rabbik has been mentioned here. لِتُنذِرَ uh, قَوْمًا To warn. Now Rasulullah's job was both. Both to warn, forewarn, and to also give glad tidings. But the, 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 the kuffar of Makkah were in bad shape. 600 years no warner had come. They had corrupted the religion so bad. They had brought idols within the Makkah, within the Kaaba. They were performing tawaf naked. They were burying their daughters alive. All sorts of crazy things were happening. So in order to do anything nice, you first need to take the broom and get rid of all the spider webs, cobwebs. So that requires a little bit of forewarning, a jolt. That's what's mentioned here. In that, although Rasulullah was sent as someone who gives glad tidings as well, but in order to wake, if you need to um, get people out of the house that's on fire, you can't say, you know what, inshallah, I'll get you a cup of coffee and some donuts. Just come outside. It's 3 a.m. Come outside, I'll grab some stuff for you. You have to warn if you don't come out, this house is about to burst into flames and you're going to die within it. We'll talk about while they're shivering outside in the cold, bring them whatever you need to. Right? But right now you got to get them out of the house. And so you're going to warn them. So that's what's mentioned here. Litunvir. In that is mentioned because we're warning the nation that if you don't immediately stop the shirk, then there is some, a huge punishment waiting for you. Allah said, no prophet, no warner came to them. However, we have many other ayats of the Quran that says that's, that every, uh, every nation had a guide. We are not going to punish any community until we send prophets. So what does this mean here then? So the ulama explain in, in many different ways. One simple explanation of Abdullah ibn Abbas is that this is referring to what we call the zaman, zamanul fitra, fatra. It is that time between Isa salam and the Prophet salam, approximately 600 years, um, give or take, in which no prophet was sent. Okay? So just because no prophet was sent doesn't mean that they are allowed to do whatever they want. Just like between every era between prophets, there was a few years, a gap in which there was no prophet. But you're expected to continue on with the message and the teachings of your previous prophet. That is why we see that during the time of the Prophet ﷺ and before he came as well, we have Waraqah ibn Nawfil, uh, who Khadija anha, took the Prophet ﷺ to when he received uh, revelation. And other, other people as well during that time who did not commit shirk. There were many, some of the senior companions of the Prophet ﷺ did not commit shirk. They were on the deen of Ibrahim ﷺ. So that tells us that there were people who were following the religion. But min nadhir min qablik means very soon. In the, in the recent past, no Prophet had come. And so that is why they had really gone off and deviated from the true path. So they may be rightly guided. Two ways of looking at this. One is that this is the intention of the Prophet. The Prophet's goal is gotta be, he has got to have hope. You have to have hope and you have to have desire for the benefit of mankind. You can't be, uh, you know, you can't be arrogant and you can't be, uh, you know, always in a hurry. That Why didn't you accept my message? Instead, you have to be uh, patient and the burning desire at the end should be, I want you to be saved from the fire of Jahannam. So the Prophet has got this taraji, what we call taraji, hope. Hope for the guidance of mankind. To the extent that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has to console the Prophet and he says, O Muhammad it is very likely that you will kill yourself. You may end up killing yourself out of, out of pain and suffering and concern over the fact that your nation is not willing to accept your message. You can't do that. I haven't sent you as someone who's been who's sent as a, someone who overpowers the people and who is who, who is responsible of every action. Allah says, that you will not be asked. You will not be asked about their actions. Your job is in alayka illa al Your job is simply to 
to give the message, propagate. So this is a message to parents, including myself and all of us. That if a Nabi who is equipped with the best tools possible, upon whose heart the Qur'an is being revealed, who is the closest to Allah you can ever imagine, he's being told the guidance is not in your hands and you are not responsible for guiding everyone. However, your job is to give your, the best you have got. Work hard, try, hope, dua. But at the end of the day, you're not, you, you will not be held accountable as long as you did everything possible. So for parents who try hard, uh, this by no means means stop trying, but it is also a message that hidayah is not in my hands or your hands. Our job is to try the best we can and then beg, and, uh, beg from Allah and hope for the best. And unfortunately, there are instances where things don't go right. Where the father is the pious of the pious And the son becomes wretched The daughter becomes wretched You see all, the, all that So this is not the fault necessarily of the parent They are at times the parents are at fault But as outsiders we should never never point our fingers At the parents of, of children who have gone off track And say well this has happened because of them Instead we should realize That you know what it could happen to us first of all And number two Is the fact that how do you know how much that person tried Look at what happened to the prophets The prophet Sallallahu himself He could not bring guidance to his own uncle Nuh could not guide his own son. Ibrahim Salam could not guide his own father. So this is something that happens. But the prophets at the end of the day always had hope. The second way of understanding this ayah is this is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala saying that Allah desires hope for human beings. When you use hope for human beings, what does it mean? It means that it may happen or it may not happen. When hope comes from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it means what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's happiness is with. Not what is desire and irada. He intended but it didn't happen. Oh, Allah wanted everyone to get hidayah but they didn't happen. Oh, so then Allah lost out. Na'udhu billah, that's not the case. But it means what is Allah happy with? Allah wants people to get hidayah. And that's why Allah says in Surah Zumar, وَلَا يَرْضَى لِعِبَادِهِ الْكُفْرِ Allah is never pleased with disobedience and kufr from His servants. Allah wants everyone to be a Muslim. Allah wants everyone to turn towards hidayah. But unfortunately, some people, they close the doors upon themselves. Now, uh, we better recognize this Qur'an. This is beautiful. This is powerful. Uh, who, who, who's revealed this Qur'an? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala asks us to understand Him first. If you understand who Allah is, you will understand the beauty of this path, of, 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 of Qur'an. Who is Allah? God is the one who has created the heavens and the earth. And all that is between them In a span of six heavenly days In a span of six heavenly days Then he settled himself over, throne, over the throne Befittingly This is a very key word Befittingly You do not have apart from him any patron And nor intercessor Will you not then be mindful that Allah is one? Will you not be mindful? Will you not take heed and advice that Allah and God is one? So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala now turns his atten our attention to his own self. If you want to understand and believe in the greatness of the Quran, understand who Allah is. And if you want to understand who Allah is, look around. Look at the heavens. Look around. Look up. And look at the heavens and the earth. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in approximately uh, eight places mentions the creation of the heavens and the earth in, in, with the days. And in four places, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions وَمَا بَيْنَهُمَا That which is between them. And in uh, the remaining three places, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not mention وَمَا بَيْنَهُمَا Whatever is between them. Here is one of those four places where وَمَا بَيْنَهُمَا Whatever is between them is mentioned. Whatever is between them means Anything tangible, intangible. Every single thing between heavens and the earth, whether it's the angels, whether it's the animals of the sea, animals and the human beings on earth, all of that is included in there. Sittati ayyam. This is obviously before the creation of the sun and the moon. So how can this ayyam, yom refers to a certain 24-hour period. We measure it through the sun, the rise and the set, the setting of the sun. So what does this refer to then? How is it possible to create in six days? Uh, so there are two answers for that One answer is that Equivalent to that which you understand He refers to Six days which you understand Meaning of course the heavens and the earth And the sun and the moon were not there But this is how much it would take Based on your understanding 
Number one. Number two is what's mentioned in the translation here. Six heavenly days. And those heavenly days are a thousand years. A day in the in, in one day in the court of Allah and in the books of Allah and with Allah and in the hereafter, Al-Fasana is equivalent to a thousand years. Okay? So six days could refer to be, uh, after the sun and the moon is created and you measure how the day uh, how long it lasts, equivalent to that. Or it could mean six heavenly days, which would mean six thousand years. It's not a problem. Uh, surah Fussilat and the twenty-fourth Surah Fussilat in the Surah in the twenty-fourth Juz mentions the the details of how this was created, what was done first, and what was what came afterwards. Uh, but more important than that is why six days, and uh, uh, why does Allah Subhanahu wa Taala mention six days? So ulama have written about this extensively. Let's uh, le- let us briefly mention the fact that number one, most definitely Allah Subhanahu wa Taala did not need six days. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is free of time. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is free of want, free of need, free of place, free of everything. He absolutely, He is a creator of time. So, you know, just like the question arises that, how do you have six days before creation of sun and moon, right? The question I just raised, that how can you have six days before the creation of the sun and the moon? The same thing. How can, how can Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala... <laughs> Require time when time itself is a creation. Time itself is a creation. So how can you say Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala before He created a creation, He needed a creation to do that. Yani he needed time to create the rest of the creation. Absolutely not. That is not the case. Allah did not need time. Allah did not need the creation to create anything. Then why is that mentioned? One answer is given is that to show that how beautifully how how uh, uh, something is when something wants for human beings to appreciate nature for human beings to understand allah says antum ashaddu khalqan sama do you think you are harder to create or the heavens do you think you're harder to create or the heavens meaning don't get too caught up with yourself okay Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created you with kun. Allah says, be in your be. This heavens and the earth, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is showing you that, not that He needed it, but He chose to extend the time of its creation because of it. For you to realize how beautiful, how intricate in detail this, this heavens and the earth is. How flawless, how massive, colossal it is. Subhanallah. That's why that sitati ayam is mentioned. People won't appreciate. Done like this, you know, that's how it is. The wife says, I made it 15 minutes. Who's going to appreciate the dinner? Says, SubhanAllah, you know, two hours I've been working on this. Even if it's messed up, also say, MashaAllah, it's good. Because at least you want to appreciate it. Two hours she spent on it. So now, when you say six days, you say, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, SubhanAllah. Imagine what beautiful heavens and earth this is. And then I, I, noted, I saw one of the beautiful uh, explanations of this, Allah Sha'arawi, rahmatullahi mentioned, share with you. It's just tamthil, it's just a way of example. He says if you want to make uh, butter, or you want to make cream, you know, or, or yogurt, what do you do? You put you know, the, the stuff in the milk and the vinegar or whatever else they put inside there, and they, uh, uh, they put the few ingredients, uh, or even you can say making bread. And you put the ingredients there together, yeast inside and whatnot, and you let it rise. You, let, you, let, you put the milk in the oven at a certain temperature and wait for 8-9 hours until it becomes sour and it becomes yogurt, right? So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He says, He created the heavens and the earth in an instance. Kun. Just like every human being is created in an instance. But does a baby get created, come out as a baby, as a child, fully functioning child in one second? Does it? No, it takes nine months. So you can ask the same thing. Why does it take Allah nine months? That Allah was, Allah was looking for, you know, so stocks were running low or what? Why did He need nine months? Obviously not. There's a tartib for it. Because you, the problem is with you. That's how long you take to get created. What am I supposed to do with it? That's how long it takes for you to get formed. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doesn't need nine months. Same thing. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told the heavens and the earth, Kun, come into existence. And then things started happening. Things started moving. Gases started moving. And however scientists may explain that, it took maybe, you know, if you just take that opinion of 6,000 years, you know, or Allah alam six days, whatever that means, we don't make, it doesn't make a difference. Basically, the button was pressed by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. B. And then it started doing its own thing. As needed, as commanded by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Which I think is a very beautiful explanation. 
that there was not something that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala na'udhu was oh, like a contractor sitting there you know over, over six days making sure this is done this is done every single day it's a new project new thing people understand it because this is a biblical story as well so people have varying different narratives of it so this explains it beautifully that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said it do come into existence and then it took its own time just like a child takes nine months a baby takes nine months to be born the heavens and the earth takes six days that six days uh, of the heavenly days or this worldly days, whatever it is, it could take six seconds too. The idea is, it's much difficult for you to, uh, for in, if, if the creation of the heavens and the earth was given to you, you would agree that it would be more difficult to create mountains, trees, uh, insects, uh, sheep, goats, uh, everything, human beings and jinn, as compared to the creation of one human. So the creator who is so amazing, who's created all of this, Will he not be able to rise, make you stand up from dust? Why, why is this a big issue? And this is what this is leading up to. Then he settled himself over the throne befittingly. This ayah you may have heard before. Istiwa al-Arsh usually comes in the places in the Quran where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks about the creation of the heavens and the earth and then he says this. Ascending to the thrones. Istiwa, sitting, ascending, Ah, and so taking power, all of this can be translated. Key thing you need to understand is that this definitely does not mean the way you and I ascend or settle or sit on a throne or on a, or on a chair. What does this mean? The best way is to say Allahu A'lam. Allah knows best. Just like Alif Lamim, we didn't delve into it. Same thing, we don't delve into Istawa Al-Arsh. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala did Istiwa Al-Arsh. You could translate it like that. Istiwa, it is what istiwa. Just like Alif Lam Mim, I didn't translate it. Istiwa, Allah did istiwa. Mutashabihat, it is from those words whose meaning, definition, meaning from the dictionary we know, but whose murad and whose uh, application we are unaware of. We don't know exactly what it's meant. Like the hand of Allah, the shin of Allah, the face of Allah, all of those things that are mentioned in the Quran and many in the hadith. The hand of Allah. So the application of it, we don't know. We know the dictionary meaning what it means. It's the way I know what it means. You know what it means. You look it up. It means to sit. It means to ascend. It means to, to settle in and so forth. So that's the first thing. Say we don't know anything what it means. The second way, if you really just can't accept the first explanation and you want something, then we can simply provide a plausible, possible explanation against saying Allah knows best. And that is, istira al-arsh means that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala took complete Control over all the affairs. Like when the president uh, has his inauguration after election. And we use this in our everyday language as well. You know, the throne. What happens to the throne? Who's sitting on the throne? And maybe he doesn't even have a throne anymore. He's not even sitting there anymore. It's somewhere in a museum or somewhere. But we, say, we still use that stuff. That the, the president or the king has ascended the throne. He's taken, he's taken control of that. <clears throat> the idea is to take complete control of the heavens and the earth Because now it's been created So after creating, he didn't say Oh, this is too big, I can't handle this I'm, uh, I don't have enough cameras installed all over the world You know, when you build a too big of a house You say, man, a water leak was there Astaghfirullah, I didn't realize that Oh, that happened over there, this is too big for me You become a manager of a company, this is too big The company's become too big now It didn't happen with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala He had complete control over every aspect And he still has complete control over every aspect of the world Malakum min duni he says, why are you turning to anyone besides Allah when you have no wali and no shafi besides Allah? What's a wali? Wali is the one who is in charge of, of your affairs and who himself can take care of your things. That's why we have a wali in nikah, right? The wali in the nikah is the one who is responsible of the affairs of the marriage of his daughter and so forth. Uh, and the wali of, of anyone. So wali is someone who can himself take care of your affairs. Allah says, you have no one who can take care of your affairs besides me, number one. What a shafi? And you actually don't even have a middleman. You have no one, you have no agents. I have no agents out there who work on my behalf. If you want to come, I've got no retailers. I've got no agents. There might be people who are proposing and acting as though, you know, they, 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 they represent me, uh, that, you know, cut a deal. But the one who actually takes care of you is only me. Subhanallah. Brothers, this is powerful ayah. No shaykh, not even the Prophet wasallam. Uh, definitely not the, 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 the turban, of some pious person or a, 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 a chadar of, or shawl of some pious person is going to take care of your needs. Only Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And you can't even present that stuff and to say, uh, you know, so-and-so sheikh said, I'm forgiving you. We do that always in the dunya. You know, with, uh, with stuff happening, he says, well, he said so that I can do this. 
It happens with kids. Mom said that, you go tell dad. Mom said that, you go tell mother or father said that, right? It works like that. They have shafia. And then they have to keep quiet. Like, okay, fine. With Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, no one can say that, uh, Ya Allah, I didn't pray because so-and-so said I don't have to pray. I didn't give zakat because so-and-so said, you know, you've given enough sadaqah. You don't have to give zakat. It doesn't work like that. Allah says, I have no wali. You have no wali besides me and you have no shafia besides me. So why do you turn to anyone besides me? Aren't you going to take advice and heed from this that there's only one Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala who, can, who you should resort to? Now, after speaking about the things that you can see, what are the things you can see? Heavens and the earth. He, Allah created that. And now Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala moves over to things that you don't see. And what is that? Allah conducts the affairs of all creation from the heaven to the earth. Every single thing, Allah is, conducts all the affairs of that. Which means, who is born when? Who is going to die when? How much food does a person get in any given meal? How much risk and uh, wealth is a person earning? Who is going to have what level of happiness? What level of sadness? When an incident takes place, what are the reactions of each and every individual going to be? And how are they going to differ? From each person to each person. Like smallest things to the, from there all the way to the running of the affairs of the insects to the under, to the world of fish and amphibians and so forth. All of that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says He's conducting. He's mudabbir. Mudabbir is planner, basically. He plans everything out Himself. Al amra min sama. Where does this come from? From the heaven to the earth. Whatever is between, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is taking care of that. And the amr descends from the heaven to the earth. Who brings that amr? The angels. The angels are the ones who say, death is coming to so and so. Happiness is coming to so and so. Uh, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sends that through the angels, the, 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 the preserved tablet. Every year, the angels are informed that this is going to happen to this group of people, this group of people. All of that is taking place from the heavens to the earth is being sent down. Then everything ascends back to him. In a heavenly day whose measure is a thousand years of what you count. So what is meant here is that every single day Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not simply say this must happen, this must happen, this must happen and then he doesn't take a report on it. Everything he asks to do, not only is it done, but everyone must report back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Ya Raju ilayhi, everyone at the end of the day, the trucks come back. Right? The delivery trucks, okay, we're done. The, the, every day we, we balance the books. No way. Similarly, every single thing is presented back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on a daily basis. And what is the distance these angels are traveling at? They're traveling at a distance which would take you a thousand years to travel. Traveling years by travel by what? By supersonic jet, a Mach 3, Mach 4, Mach 5, beyond that, a horse. Allahu Alam. This doesn't mean walking. It simply means, uh, you know, if it would take you a thousand years to travel that distance, and my angels are able to do it in a day. They go up and they come down. Because they're going at a much, much faster pace than you can ever imagine. What happened in, in uh, Isra and Mi'raj? What happened with Sulaiman? He is flow, he is moving with his um, throne a month's distance in the morning and a month's distance in the evening. And what happened to the Ifrit min al Jinn when he said, "I want, to, I want who's going to bring the throne of Bilqis?" And a powerful Jinn said, "I'll bring it." Before you stand up, or before this majlis ends, before this you know gathering ends, before uh, you walk away from this gathering, an hour or two, however long that may have been. That's still a feat. But then, The one who had knowledge of the Qur'an, or the one who had knowledge of Allah's great name, the one who was, who was basically a scholar, uh, what did he say? Asaf ibn Barqiyah, what did he say? He said, I'm going to bring it before your, 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 the blink of an eye, before your, you open your eye, and before you close it, I'll bring it. And that's exactly what happened. So the distance isn't changing, but based on the power and the strength of a person who is doing it, the time, of course, changes. So it took one per average man, it might have taken him a month or two months. Jinn, it took him two, two uh, uh, half hour, one hour. And this pious slave of Allah, he did it in less than a second. So imagine angels. He wasn't an angel. He was a normal person or a jinn, but he was not an angel. Well, angels, imagine what distance they're doing. Second tafsir of this is that, this is being about the day of judgment. 
uh, that the day of judgment is when every single thing is going to be presented to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Yawm means talking about here the day of judgment, everything is going to be presented to Allah and not on the daily basis. Such is, now after you recognize two things, what did we speak about? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala spoke about the, the beauty of the Quran, that it's, it's, it's not made up, it's beautiful, it came from Allah. You don't want, you, you have issues with that? Well, then look and understand Allah. Okay, how am I supposed to understand who Allah is? Well, you can understand Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala by looking at the creation. So then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks about two aspects, the things that you can feel and touch and see, which is nature and heavens and the earth. He mentioned that. And then he speaks about things that you don't see, which is al-amr, which is the affairs of the world. You don't see it apparently, but you have to know someone's in control of your life. That is why what you plan doesn't happen. <laughs> your memo says something, your daily planner says something, your alarms say something, your monthly schedule says something, but something else happens. That happens every single day. We're going somewhere else. No one, I'm sure, going to work intended to have an accident. No one dropping off you know, uh, something somewhere, uh, uh, you know, uh, plan to have something go wrong. No one wants to be late. Who wants to be late on purpose? I want to come 20 minutes late for a meeting. I want to come 20 minutes late to school. But something happens. We all say, but kuchoge, something happened. That, that aspect of something happening tells you that you don't have complete control of your life. There's someone who's mudabbir. Someone who is definitely, who, in whose hands are, is the affairs. Such, Allah says now, that, that is, such is the soul knower, alim, Allah says he's the sole knower of the realms of all the unseen and the seen. Al-Aziz, he's the overpowering one. Al-Rahim, he is also the mercy giving. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala didn't simply create everything and then push all the buttons and say, happen, happen, happen. You come into existence, you die at this time, you this time. At the same time, Allah has complete knowledge of all of that that has happened and is happening now. What does Allah have knowledge of? Two things, the unseen and the seen. So, someone may think that since I don't see Allah, fine, he, he knows what's happening unseen, but he doesn't know what's happening in the scene. You understand? That's one reason why shahada has been mentioned afterwards. That no, just because Allah is not seen doesn't mean he doesn't know what's seen. He, he's unseen, and he knows what is unseen, and he knows what is seen. Every single thing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has complete knowledge of. Beyond that, what is he? Al-Aziz. He's the overpowering one. So, and no, none of the creation has the ability to stand up against him. Today, fathers are worried about their children standing up against them. Mothers are worried about their children standing up against them. Employers are worried about employees starting up their own and going against them, starting up a bigger business in front of them. We see that all around, right? Uh, you see, you see uh, technology, the, the horror stories in science fiction movies and books and stuff like that. And it's kind of coming too like that slowly, I think so. You could probably give us some more input into that. <laughs> uh, that slowly uh, things are really getting out of hand. Technology is really becoming uh, not uh, a slave of human beings, but we're becoming slaves to technology. It's scary. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is al-aziz, but nothing intimidates Allah that, oh, this creation really became a bit too large. Al-aziz, overpowering. Ar-Rahim, and at the same time is mercy giving. Why is he mercy giving? I mean, what, what, why is he merciful? Or how did he show his mercy? The fact, number one, that He even created you. Think of all of us. If, if Allah didn't, ex, ex, didn't create me, what would happen? I would just be in non-existence. I, I would never be able to enjoy Jannah. I would never be able to enjoy reciting the Quran, listening to all of this, understanding who Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is. We'd be in thin air, nothing. So the fact that we are existing, this is a mercy of Allah. The fact that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then revealed the Quran for us is a mercy of Allah. The fact that Prophet was sent to the mercy of human beings is a mercy of Allah. And then, subhanAllah, that the fact that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave us iman so that we believe in the Quran as the book of Allah and that Muhammad as the Prophet of Allah, that is the greatest mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Al-Aziz al-Rahim. Al-Ladhi Ahsana. How did Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala show His mercy? I already mentioned to you. Now let's listen to the words here. Al-Ladhi Ahsana. The one who has made excellent everything. Khalaqahu. He has created. وَبَدَأَ خَلْقَ الْإِنسَانِ مِنْ طِينِ And originated the creation of humankind from clay. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying here, is a part of Allah's mercy. The manifestation of Allah's mercy is that what He created you. So that's number one, mercy. And number two, He didn't just take a few things here, a big blob of flesh. You know, eyes one side, ears one side, everything messed up. No! Ahsana kulla shay is created with precision. Ihsan, with precision, with real beauty. It is something from Husn, Husn, Jamal, beautiful. Haseen, something which is very beautiful. Hasan, which is good. Same root word, Hasinun. 
So Ahsan Yahsinu Ihsan, the Sifa of Ihsan when worshipping Allah. What does that mean? Sifa of perfection. Allah Yuhabul Ihsana fi kulli shay. Allah loves perfection and everything. So when you slaughter an animal, do a good job. Don't do a sloppy job when slaughtering an animal and give it pain. That's what instructed by Allah Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi Of course, Ihsan in our salah, that we're praying with concentration and devotion and so forth. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying, I'm doing Ihsan too. I didn't do a floppy job. I didn't do a sloppy job. Subhanallah. Amazing, isn't that? That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, I expect from you. You know, you say, when a teacher does a, when, when a, teacher does a lot of effort into his class, he says, right, I'm doing such a, so much effort to teach you guys, I expect the same from you. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying, I gave you something beautiful. I gave you a beautiful deen, I gave you a beautiful body, I gave you a beautiful system of parents. All of this stuff which is amazing, so that you learn from each other. I mean, there's, we can go on and on about that. So now, we want reciprocity. We want, some, we want you to hal jazaul ihsan illa ihsan. We want you to behave. Look at that, subhanAllah. Hal jazaul ihsan illa ihsan. Same word. I wasn't even thinking about that. But hal jazaul ihsan illa ihsan. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying, if you've done, I've done ihsan. Ihsan is just not a favor. It's, ihsan is a root word of ahsana. Alright, that's what it is. Ahsana yuhsin ihsan. Masdar of ahsan. Allah is saying, I've done ihsan towards you and I expect ihsan. And what is that? That we worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, and, 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 and obey Him and, and please Him. Uh, so here He says, He created everything and then He made it everything excellent. So the ulama explain here, Kulla shay doesn't just refer to human beings, of course. It doesn't refer to the mountains and the trees and so forth. It means all things of this world, everything. So they say that is why there's nothing pure evil. There's nothing as such thing as pure evil. Everything Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created, there's some good in it. You may not understand the good in it, but there's something good, beneficial in it. That's one thing. Everything, there's some good in it, you don't understand the good in it, but doesn't make it, just like Allah says, tasbihahum. Everything in the heavens and the earth is glorifying Allah, but just because you can't understand or hear them glorifying Allah, doesn't mean they're not. Similarly, just because you don't understand something what's so good about it, like parents and teachers say, you don't understand the benefit of this. You're too little, you're too young, you're too immature, you're too uneducated about this. Just let me deal with this. This is how we got to do it. If this is the difference between human beings who are a few years older than each other, what about Allah? He knows what's beneficial. There are many things you dislike, but they are actually better for you and beneficial for you. So number one, there's always some good in something. Number two, if there is something evil or bad outside, it's because Allah prohibited it. He created it. It was good, but He said, I don't want you to do this. That's why it's become bad. It's become evil or wrong because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Himself said, I don't want to do that. So this is uh, a theological, you know, a, a theological, philosophical discussion here. Uh, and uh, without getting too much into that, basically is that, uh, is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mandated to make everything evil haram? If something is evil, is, was Allah forced to make things haram? Because Sharia must say this is evil, uh, this is haram because this is wrong, this is evil. That's why Sharia must say it's haram. Or is it the other way around? Did it become evil because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala prohibited it? Right? So, uh, the our response to that, of course, is that no. Everything is how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created it. Its evilness comes in when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, asks us to, to stay away from it. So, uh, this is a difference between the even within the Ahl Sunnah wal Jama'ah, uh, and the if I'm not mistaken, the, the school of thought here of the Maturidis uh, uh, differs a little bit from the Ash'aris in the semantic differences here. Uh, but we must, uh, we will agree on the fact that everything, every single thing in the heavens and the earth, Allah created, and if it's evil, we will not make nisba, and we will not, uh, we will not, we we will not. Um, Men, we will not mention the fact that we will not say that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created this evil in a sense, in a manner that is disrespectful to Him. That's why we say, we don't say Allah is khaliqul kilabi, ya khaliqul kalbi wal khinzir, or the creator of the dogs and the swine. That's not how you make dua to Allah. You say, ya khaliqul samawati wal aradi, or the creator of the heavens and the earth. Are we in disagreement or, or in agreement about the, that Allah created the uh, dogs and the uh, uh, pigs? Of course He created it. But this is just not adab with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So some ulama here have just simply mentioned that the fact that there are evil things out there is because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has prohibited them. And everything haram and evil already has been prohibited by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So why get into this whole useless discussion of... Um, 
of what is what if something is evil but Allah didn't prohibit it. Everything that is haram, harama alaykum al khabaith. Allah says, filthy things He's made up haram for you. Filthy things. Sometimes people say, is that animal haram? Is that animal haram? And that's the dalil that ulama give. Haram alaykum al And that's why smoking, when ulama of, of, of certain, uh, certain groups of ulama that say smoking is haram, this is the, for example, in Saudi you'll see this ayah written everywhere. Or haram alaykum al This is smoking is, is khabith. It's evil. It is impure. It's filthy. And Allah has prohibited every filthy thing. That's it. That's the ayah right there. So no point in to get into that discussion, which is a complete hypothetical scenario. insan. So from all the all the creations out there, which he's made beautiful, ashraful makhlukat. The best creation is this Hazrat insan. This insan, and that's why Allah mentions that here after creation of the heavens and the earth. Allah says, insan. Allah subhanahu wa taala originated the creation of the humankind from clay. Then he made its progeny. Nasala, nasla, uh, nasl, we say nasal in Urdu also, is something which comes from you. Yakhruj min fula. Yakhruj. Nasal means something which comes out. Something which comes out. So since nasal, progeny comes from a human being, comes out from a human being, from a man and a woman together, coming from section from him, coming from him, section obviously a majority of it coming from her, uh, eventually. So that's why progeny is called nasal. That he made its progeny, mimma'im maheen. Of humble fluid draw forth. So, what basically you're talking about here is um, mahin is something which is uh, mahin from ihana, which is which is humble is translated here. You can translate it as something which is looked down upon, which is disgraced, right? Which is something which is is filthy, which is something which is uh, you you would definitely not. Want, want it to be next to you So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying here That this is coming from a mixture Of Of, the, of, the, uh, of some from the male Some from the female And it begins with a very humble fluid Maheen is ism maf'ul um, and, and this is of course referring to The sperm from which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Has created a human being And Allah says in Surah Dahar هَلَا تَعَلِ الْإِنسَانِ حِينٌ مِّنَ الدَّهْرِ لَمْ يَكُنْ شَيْئًا مَذْكُورًا Has there not a time come upon this human being that he was not worthy of mention? مَذْكُورًا He was not worthy of mention. So two ways you may translate this, uh, Allah alam. One is لَمْ يَكُنْ شَيْئًا مَذْكُورًا Straight, he was, not, he, was not mention, he was not mentionable. Meaning, why was he not mentionable? Because he didn't exist. So uh, two people haven't got married and they're about to get married or they just married or they're about to have a child or they haven't yet had a child yet. There's a, there's a void there. But we can't talk about Ahmad or Muhammad or Fatima because there's no one there. Soon, inshallah, they'll have a child. But right now, not worthy of mention. Now one thing. Number two, you can even mention, and I understand this, to be a saying that not worthy of mention in the sense that the, 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 the existence was something so humble that subhanAllah, if that sperm were to come, then subhanAllah, ghusl would become mandatory. The portion of the clot need to be washed. And all the ahkam that come with that. Right? So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reminds us of our humble beginnings. We don't have to be told that, oh, you know, you were poor and now you became rich. Well, let's go beyond that. Let's go from where we started off from. That we were just a dirty drop of a sperm. Then he fashioned him. Allah fashioned, didn't just leave it a drop of sperm. Sawahu, he fashioned him. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala breathed the spirit. Now Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, His spirit. What does this mean? And nothing to get confused about. Just like you have Allah's house, Baytullah. Allah is definitely not living in there. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is definitely not inside the Kaaba or in the houses, in any other masajid. And you have all the other things that are mentioned, Allah's something. Similarly, ruhahi is not Allah's soul that na'udhu billah is in him. It is simply belonging to Allah and it's the nisbah has been made towards Allah ta'zeeman wa tashrifan to give it honor. Ruh is something so special because ruh is ma bihi al-hayat. Ruh is that which you get life with and life is so valuable. So the thing that gives you life is very valuable and that is something which only Allah can give you. You can fix another ear. Allah can give you the ability to fix an ear, do a performer surgery, do this and do that. But the world will never be able to produce a ruh. ruh min amri rabbi. Ruh is from the command of Allah. You understand? So that is why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala makes nisbah towards ruh, towards himself. Ruhi, from my ruh. Not that, na'udhu billah, it's something that's within him. But it is something that he has complete ownership 
and you're not gonna even, it's not gonna even seem like you have any ownership over Allah's, uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's creation, which is ruh. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then created for you the faculties and the ability to hear and see. And along with that, the hearts. Comprehend. We use the hearts to comprehend. The sharia talks about heart that we comprehend not through our mind, but through our hearts. So, afida is to comprehend, absar is to listen, uh, to see, and sam'a is to listen. Qaleelam ma tashkurun, how little thanks you give. How sad that after all of this, you are being so ungrateful to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Inshallah ta'ala, we will end this session here at this first nine ayats, and we will go on to now the explanation next session of how um, um, this ungratefulness is manifested. What are the type of criticisms and objections the disbelievers mention to the Prophet ﷺ, in essence, to against Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I ask Almighty Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to allow all of us to uh, uh, put into practice whatever we've learned today and discussed today. If anything was said properly and correct, it was from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. If I've made a mistake in relating something or explaining something, it was from me and shaitan, and I seek forgiveness from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for that. I ask Almighty Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to make us from amongst those, every one of you who is sitting here or listening online, may Allah make you from amongst those who memorize this surah. And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make, uh, make us from amongst those who recite this every night. Those of us who memorized it or didn't memorize it, I don't want to put anyone on the spot. But I want, I want the people at home listening and the people who are uh, listening here as well uh, to, 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 to raise your hand and to say, okay, who amongst you inshallah is going to make an effort inshallah ta'ala, effort to memorize these eight ayat till next week. One a day. Raise your hand if you make this intention inshallah. Tayyib, alhamdulillah. So, if you don't know this ayah, just do one ayah. Alif la mim tanzil kitab. La rayba fihim rabbil alameen. You can do one for tonight. And by next week, inshallah, you'll, this is a motivation for you. Motivation for you to, to see. And I, have, I've, I mentioned this last year as well. No one took me on for the offer. But I'm ready to sit after the, pro, you know, the tafsir and to listen to whoever wants to recite those two, three ayats. No problem. You know, to help you with that. But let's create this type of thing that we're listening to the surah. Surah Mulk is gone. Those of you memorize it, great. You didn't. Well, maybe you can start downloading, listening to each session and say, all right, by the next time, I'm going to listen to it every week and memorize Surah Mulk slowly over three weeks. So we're doing Surah Sajda over four weeks. 30 ayats over four weeks. That gives you about seven ayats per week. Very, very doable. Inshallah. So those of you who, who memorize it by the end, I think we should have a gift for them. Inshallah, I will make some arrangements for that. For those of you who, uh, who genuinely did not know the Surah, and by the end of this seminar, know it, we should definitely award you with dua and with some, some gift that you can uh, inshallah benefit from.